guys. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a great episode with Kevin Passmore, who was able to harvest a great bull elk with his bow on the late elk season in Arizona. And Kevin has been on the podcast before, and I know you guys are going to uh, get some good information from Kevin, and it's always great talking with him. I wanted to go over a couple things uh, before we get to that episode. First, the December Go Hunt Insider giveaway is five Zeiss binoculars. Uh, they are giving away five pairs of Zeiss Conquest 10 by 42 binoculars with a total value of $4,500. All you have to do is be an Insider member to be eligible to win. And um, last month they gave away uh, Kuyu backpacks. They've given away uh, Kuyu sleeping bags. They've given away doll sheep hunts. Uh, they did a, a coos deer hunt with Dar Colburn and I coming up here in January. And uh, if you're not already an insider member, uh, go to gohunt.com, click on the blue join now button. When you click on that blue join now button, use the J Scott promo code when you're signing up and uh, gohunt.com will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. And um, GoHunt.com Insider just launched uh, their filtering 2.0, uh, which shows all the harvest statistics uh, from all the Western states and all the animals that we like to hunt. Uh, coming very soon is going to be uh, the draw odds um, for all the Western states, and it's going to be the most sophisticated draw odds um, filtering system that uh, the hunting industry's ever seen. Uh, so go check them out at gohunt.com uh, forward slash insider. Don't forget to use the J. Scott promo code when signing up. I want to thank gohunt.com for their sponsorship um, of this podcast. And um, we are looking forward to going hunting in January uh, with the gohunt.com winners. Uh, we've got uh, some rutting coos deer here coming up uh, mid-January down in Sonora, Mexico. And um, sorry I've been a little late on these podcast episodes. Um, just got off an incredible desert bighorn sheep hunt in Unit 22 uh, with my client Craig Dunlap. He was able to harvest an awesome Class 4 ram. Uh, just what he wanted, a, a, a beat up, kind of chipped up, broomed. Um, beautiful ram. He's got 10-inch third quarters. Um, just a just an awesome ram. You can go on my Instagram account at jscottoutdoors. Uh, also on my blog jscottoutdoors.com and my YouTube channel to see a bunch of videos um, from that hunt. And we're going to be doing a podcast episode on on that hunt coming up here in the future. Uh, also, my associate Dar Colburn with uh, the other half of Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Uh, we had an incredible hunt with his son, uh, Parker on the strip. And just prior to that, he took his youngest son, Paul, and he killed a giant, uh, 121 inch coos deer on his first hunt as a 10 year old. And, um, uh, Dar just guided, a Rocky, uh, Arizona, Rocky mountain, bighorn sheep hunter in unit six, a to a archery. He was an archer and he shot a 181 inch uh, ram with his bow and it's just a phenomenal hunt uh, you can go on dar colburn so it's at dar d-a-r-r -R, colburn uh, on instagram and see the photos and the videos of that hunt 
Um, I want to thank you guys, the listeners. Uh, we are very, very close now to um, eclipsing the million dollar. Uh, I wish it was a million dollar. Eclipsing the million. Uh, what do I say? Million downloads um, here on the podcast. And it's not a million dollars yet, but it is a million downloads. And, uh, uh, you know, without you guys, um, none of that would be possible. I want to encourage you to continue to email me questions and comments about the podcast or questions you have about your upcoming hunts or people that you want to hear on the podcast. You can reach me on my email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I always love hearing from you guys. Every day I get an email or a Facebook message or Instagram message from one of the listeners, and I just really appreciate it. Uh, keep sending me photos of, uh, of your successful hunts. I love seeing those photos. And um, uh, guys, I want to thank DeadeyeOutfitters.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. And I want to thank GoHunt.com forward slash Insider uh, for their uh, uh, sponsorship of this podcast. And uh, let's get right to the episode here with uh, Kevin Passmore. Guys, I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of this podcast. DeadeyeOutfitters.com is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. Check out episode 45 of this podcast with one of the owners and you'll see what I mean. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. Use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Kevin Passmore who has been on uh, the show before and uh, the last time we talked with Kevin it was kind of pre-elk season and um, we were getting some hints on late elk hunts and late archery elk hunts and some tips and uh, Kevin had a great uh, hunt with his buddy and was able to harvest a couple nice bulls so I'm anxious to talk to Kevin. Kevin how you doing? Doing good Jay. Um, man, you did good. You had your own archery tag, uh, late archery tag when they're not bugling and you guys, uh, you and a buddy were able to harvest a couple really nice bulls. I, I really like the mass on the bull that you harvested. Yeah, we, uh, we had a heck of a time. My buddy killed, uh, his largest bull ever, even with the rifle. And I did the same, uh, both doing it with bows. So it was pretty, pretty special. That's awesome. Um, your bull looks like he's got a broken, maybe a little broken third on, on his right side, um, um, but just heavy all the way around. Even the points are heavy, like even where you don't get credit for for score, it's just a solid, heavy, heavy bull. You know what? That third is actually, it's kind of kind of different. I posted a picture on Instagram, but it, it almost looks like he jabbed a stick or something when that point was growing and it was still soft and it it grew around it and there's actually a a pocket of velvet and something hard inside a, inside the pocket where it, where that horn grew around it you can actually stick your finger through it it's kind of kind of interesting i'm actually looking at it closer now um kevin's uh handle on instagram is kipper2012 if you want to see the pictures of the the bulls that he, that he's talking about in in particular i'm looking at this third point it's almost like a little crab claw pincher yeah um that's that's pretty dang cool to see that I, I don't know that i've ever seen that um 
exactly like that. That's pretty dang cool. Yeah, I've never never seen it. We were sitting there looking at it. My dad was poking around in it with his knife and looking at the velvet, and it almost seems like there might be a stick or, you know, I don't want to tear it apart because it's so cool, but I really would like to know what's in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kevin, before we get into your hunt, uh, um, last time we talked, you were going to be doing some guiding uh, on some elk hunts. Uh, uh, tell me how that went this year. How was your season so far and general breakdown of the season? It was good. It was uh, <clears throat> difficult at times. Uh, I started out September in uh, Unit 1 with uh, Mike and Devin Hancock. They uh, I had a hunter from, from Colorado and he hunted for eight days and got on some awesome bulls and had an awesome time. We never got to to seal the deal on anything, but it was, uh, it was an awesome time. Um, unit one at that time of the year is something else. I really, really do enjoy spending time down there. And How was your bugle in there in unit one? You know what? It was, uh, it was pretty good. The first four or five days where we were hunting wasn't too crazy. And then towards the end of the hunt before he left, uh, there was a storm coming in and we kind of moved a little higher and uh, kind of got into it a little a little bit, got into some bigger groups of elk that were really running around and bulls were chasing each other. Um, and the mornings were kind of, before that, they were slow. You'd hear bulls bugling and, and going after it, but once that sun peaked over it, they would push their cows off and, and get pretty quiet. But for the most part, it was it was awesome. I wish we could have had a couple more days in there because I think we could have got something good, but it was, it was a good time. I believe they have 350 tags on that archery hunt. You can correct me if I'm wrong. How does the pressure affect the hunting and what was your experience there hunting with, with that many people? My experience was, was good. We, uh, we might've bumped into some people here or there, um, see a truck park that might've beat us down the road or, or have someone came come in on top of us. But uh, for the most part, once our boots were on the ground and we were in, on elk, we never had any issues. I was dreading it with the 300 tag. I'm pretty sure it's 300, but. Okay, 300. I, I was dreading it. Uh, I think actually one day we had a guy um, slip in with bad wind and, and blow some elk out. But other than that, it was, it was awesome. It was what you would want, you know, after waiting 15, 16 years on a hunt. How do those bulls differ from, you know, you're from central Arizona and as far as the characteristics of their antlers or color or what have you, what, what, what do you notice about those unit one bulls maybe that would be different than what you see in central Arizona? Um, color for sure. They, uh, you know, they got those dark horns and the white tips, but, uh, this year, the amount of bulls that I was seeing with, with splits and extras, um, was unreal i i'd never been in a on an early hunt where that many bulls with that many extras so it was it was pretty cool to see that you know a couple bulls with extra eye guards and uh um, kickers and then mainly splits a lot of bulls with splits you know it'll be interesting um i've been watching the news quite a bit lately and they're predicting you know a strong el nino and they're predicting, you know, a uh, pretty strong end of second, you know, second part of January, February, March, April uh, moisture. 
and it will be interesting to see if we can back last year's uh, you know mild winter but great uh, spring moisture and summer moisture if we can kind of back that up with some good winter moisture uh, we could have uh, a really good elk year next year if, if things line up correctly. Yeah I agree and there's a we saw a lot of bulls got a lot of pictures of a lot of bulls this year and I always watch social media and and watch real hard different forums and stuff trying to see if any familiar faces pop up and you know I don't see them all but so far I haven't seen a whole lot out of some of the units that I got to hunt so it's kind of it's it's interesting to think of what if it is a good year what might grow into next year yeah for sure and so that was the early archery season and then what other hunts did you guide and and how did you do um from there we switched gears and came uh back up up north to unit 10 a buddy of mine him and uh one of his close friends drew early rifle tags and that one was a different story there was 100 tags on that hunt and uh we did hunt on and off of it and it was it was tough there was we got on some larger some groups of elk that you'd see people from all around you moving in and we had issues with people coming down downwind um walking right through you know bugling elk it was it was frustrating we ended up kind of pulling the plug early and he killed the bull he never had an elk tag he i think he even drew it with like two points but he ended up killing about a 345 bull, and then his buddy, I ended up leaving, and his buddy came back and killed another bull, real similar. But it was tough. 100 tags on that on that hunt. I'm sure you could have got away from people, but where we were hunting and and trying to get on some of these big bulls, it was it was a circus. Yeah, you know, um, back when we used to hunt unit 10 a lot, I want to say there was 25 early rifle tags and. You know, one of the common themes you'll hear listeners hear on this podcast, I sound like I'm complaining, but it's like when you're used to hunting a unit that, you know, has 25 early rifle tags and, you know, only 100, I believe there's there were times when there's only 100 archery tags in there, to see the number of tags, you know, the 200 archery tags and the 100 early rifle, it's just a totally different experience. And you know, the public a lot of times has spoken and they've asked for more opportunity. And, you know, I go back to playing the devil's advocate of, do you really want more opportunity or do you want more good opportunity? Because, you know, in my case, uh, not necessarily more opportunity is better. Um, I would rather have better good opportunities than just mediocre uh, tags in my pocket. Um, I think, I think the quality in unit 10, granted there still will be a couple of big bulls just because of the size of the country and that it borders, you know, the, the wall of pie and some of the different, um, you know, areas of sanctuary, there's always going to be a big bull or two, but I mean, it seems like the general consensus across the board is that the quality in unit 10 has slipped a lot. Um, I mean, the last time I hunted it hard was 2005, 10 years ago, and it was a phenomenal moisture year, and there was a lot of really big bulls killed. And then it seems like ever since then, the tag increase, um, you know, it's just not what it used to be. And it's hard to, uh, you know, I'm so spoiled, it's hard for me to go hunt an area where, you know, the quality was so high for so many years when I was hunting it to see it where it is now. And I, I'm just going off of what, 
you know, a bunch of people that I've talked to said, um, can you speak a little bit on that, on your experience in Unit 10? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, this year they killed, in the early archery hunt and, and even on the early rifle, they killed some tremendous bulls, some friends, and um, some, guys, some guys guiding. And then on the other side, I had some friends that, you know, that late muzzleloader hunt, they added uh, 125 tags and the late rifle hunt, there's 550 or something like that. And they, they struggled. They, even on the early rifle hunt, they struggled and trying to find bulls that guys that have waited for a long time to hunt the, you know, famous unit 10. And then they get there and they're literally competing with way too many people. Um, and as far as I know, they killed a couple good people at late muzzleloader hunt, but it was it was tough, my buddy said. But what I guess was good is reading the proposals. They they knocked a lot of tags off. I want to say the early archery, the late muzzleloader, even the the early rifle. I think they took sixty off of it, so it's down to forty. And the late rifle is is down as well. So maybe it'll uh, maybe it's headed in the right direction. Okay, yeah, that's good. I actually haven't seen the new proposals. I need to get online and. Uh, maybe I can uh, go over that a uh, little bit um, on one of these podcasts uh, so people will know. So it sounds like the new proposals are, must be listed on the Game and Fish website. Yeah, and I've, okay. I've caught a rumor that some of it, there's some typos on it. Um, you know, I don't know for sure, but it like the, that early muzzleloader hunting unit nine, I don't think they're planning on having it. So there's some there's some good stuff in there and some stuff that will kind of raise your eyebrows so i'm sure i tend to raise my eyebrows quite a bit these days um i want to so you you guided in unit 10 and and had a good uh haunt there uh you guys got a what'd you say a 345 340 bull or something yeah we uh we got we had we had a couple bigger bulls that we were we were hunting of course but when I came come down to the wire, my wife was there filming, and and my buddy saw the bull. He ended up shooting. It was it was love at first sight. Basically, he he knew he wanted him, and it was kind of cool. We ended up belly crawling, you know, like unit ten across a big open flat, and it just it worked out in our favor. And it all uh, he was he was tickled, but yeah, from there uh, was uh, was just preparing for my for my late archery hunt after that. So tell me about your late archery hunt. Um, it, it, it's last time I talked to you, you were you know trying to figure out where some of those bulls were and 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 walk, keep your eye on some of those bulls uh, from a preparation standpoint on those late uh, archery elk hunts. You know what are some of the things that you think are important for for people that have those same tags to um, focus in on? Uh, backup plan. We. Uh... <laughs> We got up there and, and had looked around. We didn't do a, a ton of homework because we both had planned to um, take the whole hunt off and and do what it whatever it took to. And we had our goals. Um, and I'm I'm not gonna lie. I I was really looking for you know the next notch up um, from from like a 350 bull uh, and and an unbroken bull. Um, I know the unit has that caliber of bull and my buddy was just looking to to shoot a big bull so it was we had our had our goals and uh 
the first trip we made up there, of course, we see a giant. There's, they were still rutting, but from there, we just started cutting country, you know, on a map, finding glassing spots where we could overlook a lot of country, um, spots where we might be able to get away from people if we had any issues, um, familiarizing ourselves with the roads and, and, and finding which roads we would need quads or, uh, or pickups or just the, the little things that would, would save a morning instead of picking a road to go look at a different canyon from a different view and, and finding out, well, you need a quad to get in there. The little things to where once the hunt started, we had it all out on our map and everything rolled out without a glitch. We, we were into bulls all the time. Um, we saw a bunch of bulls. They were, this was the first hunt after the early rifle that they had had in there for, for bulls. So it was. So what were the hunt dates? Um, the hunt started on, uh, November 13th, I think to the 27th or the 26th. Okay. So it was the middle of November. Um, the bulls were, I was there on the, the late rifle and the bulls that we'd been watching were still there in the same spot that they were going to be on that late rifle hunt. So they were as close as they were going to be to their, you know, the winter grounds for hunting season that is and and you know we we didn't get up super early and you know hike far and get up on the biggest knobs ever but we were we, we played it real strategic and just glassed a lot and covered a lot of country trying to find a good bull in a good spot and we saw we saw some bulls that we probably should have went after um my buddy really there was a couple bulls he really to go after but then you have to look at it from you got a bow in your hand in 13 days you know do you want to spend a whole day trying to get, get on him and it might not work and blow him out of the country when he might move into some more huntable country um so that's how we kind of looked at it and my buddy actually killed his bull opening morning and when we first glassed him up we had some other hunters pull up on us and kind of discouraged us but we just sat there and watched him all morning. He stood in the wide open, um, and he's a heck of a bull. He's got uh, 54 inch main beams, and he was 45 inches wide. So him standing up there is unbroken. He, him standing up there on the on the bluffs, you know, with the sun on him, he looked like a giant. Which I mean, he was a he was 340, 345, which he is a big bull, but just that a, appearance with those beams and that width, and we kind of got bummed out thinking that all these other people driving in are going to, are going to go after him and whatnot. But once he bedded, um, we, we just formed a plan and, and had some spotters sitting back with some radios, um, a new type of radio we're actually using. We're using, we borrowed some of those, uh, CP 200s. I think you had told me about. Yeah. That's what Dara and I use. Did you get some of those? Yeah, we ended up having a buddy that had some, so we borrowed them and, and bought some different earpieces and uh, had a heck of a time with them. They were awesome. They did everything uh, we wanted. They were crystal clear. The battery life lasted long, and the, the earpieces were real simple, so it, it worked out really well. Yeah, my buddy uh, Cody Goff, um, he sells those uh, CP200s. He sells all, a bunch of radios, but those CP200s are the quality the the quality of sound and you get such good reception they're pretty hard to beat 
Um, so you, you guys were pretty dialed in, and, and um, who killed their bull first? Uh, my buddy Jimmy did. He killed uh, – we found that bull opening morning, and I want to say by 2 o'clock that evening we uh, we had him down, and we ended up getting within probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, my dad and my wife sat back on the big eyes kind of watching him, and, and it's it's thick cedars. It's not – you know, run and gun and get on top of them real fast. So we we did a lot of zigging and zagging, getting up there, trying to get the wind right, because that's what we've found on these later hunts with a bow in your hand in these canyons where these bulls like to hang out. The wind is is so hard to predict. It, it never does the right thing, so it, you're constantly moving different directions. And once we got around him and at his level, we had a couple other bulls to to contend with, but we were trying to get in between them, hoping that if we did blow them out, he might not hear them. And we got in between them and uh, slipped in. I, I want to say we came around the corner. When, when he would stand up, we would move, but when he laid down, we sat down. And it, it worked to the point where when my dad told me he had stood up, we were 37 yards. I peeked around a tree. We were 37 yards. And... Uh, my buddy got in front and we just played cat and mouse for about an hour trying to keep the wind right and trying, you know, at that point you're so committed, you can't, you can't just back out. But we, uh, we just kept on him waiting for a shooting lane. And eventually he, he got his head buried in a bush long enough that my buddy was able to slip around to 30 yards and, and put one good shot on him. And he fell over pretty much right there. And, and that was it for him. So it was, it was good. It was it was an eye opener. We've been nervous in the country we were hunting and how steep and how brushy and and how thick it was. Um, how much how difficult it might be. And once that happened, man, we were we were ready to do it again. And when you say do it again, you meant on your hunt. Yeah. For your for your bull. Yeah. So then so then we switched gears to mine and. I had a couple uh, friends up there helping glass and looking around and they were, they were giving me a pretty hard time because we looked over probably 50 or 60 other bulls and I was pretty picky. I wasn't, I wasn't to the point where uh, I was going to ruin the hunt. I ended up grabbing my bow one day on a bull that we had seen in a really good spot to with archery gear and, uh, was getting ready to bail off the cliffs and head down after him. And I just had to tell myself, you know, you had a goal. It's day five, you know, just, just hang in there a little bit longer. You know, even though elk meat and a big set of antlers is nice. I, I really wanted that, that next notch up in, in bulls. Um, I really wanted a 350 bull or better, better unbroken. And, uh, and we had seen enough bulls that it was just a matter of time and a storm had rolled in and snowed of course the way my luck goes and <laughs> we lost one whole day so in that thought once once it got real windy and the snow rolled in you can only think of what the next day might be because you know you only, who knows what they do um when it gets miserable you know but my thought is they they'll hunker down and and wait it out especially if it's just going to be a day long storm and I, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what they did. That next day, the bulls were on their feet early, and they they fed probably till ten, eleven o'clock in the morning. So, 
in my mind, when it snows, one of the things about it is they're, you can see them a lot better. It seems like those bulls really stick out when it, when there's snow on the ground. Do you agree with that, or do you, what do you think? No, for sure, and I was excited because the snow we got was only, it was enough to cover the ground and uh, turn everything white, but what was uh, kind of interesting of this storm is it was real windy, so in one in one way we got the snow you know in the white background so everything should stick out you know fairly well and then on the other side it was real windy so not having to go out there and be miserable uh you know we we rolled the dice on the bulls we're gonna bed and and stay uh stay down for most of the day but the following day it was supposed to out and not be windy and the sun was supposed to come out and it, it all did but it was it was perfect because those bulls were on their feet for a long time. Did you find that right away they were a little slow to get up, but then once they got up, they kind of stayed up and fed? Uh, you know, a lot of times it seems like when you get, you know, a change in the weather, that first hour of light, they're they're pretty slow they're, to get out of their beds. But then once they do, it seems like they really feed pretty hard. Yeah, the when we got out there... Um, you know, it was, it was brutal cold and you're glassing before the sun, you know, before the sun hits anything. And there was two bulls, uh, with the bull that I ended up shooting and the one bull was up early, you know, right away. My buddy glassed him up and, uh, we could see the bull and then the sun came up and, and hit him and he stayed up for a while. But the bull I killed, um, had some age to him for sure. He, he laid there until that sun hit that other bull and the the snow had almost melted enough off that it was there was big open patches of dirt but he he waited for that sun to get up and once that sun was up he he went to town feeding and uh and staying in the sun he never he never ventured into the trees or anything like that he stayed on that sun on that south face and slope for a long time Kevin, in the late season, what advice could you give to people looking for bulls as far as, is there a certain side of the slope that you typically find those bulls on, um, or certain type of vegetation or, or grade, you know, type of steepness of terrain? Where do you typically look to find those big pockets of bulls? You know what? I, I had a couple of friends text me. They weren't having any luck and, and asking me that question. And Every time I get somewhere where I can glass, even if it if it's thick, you know, brush or trees or whatever, we we glass it all, um, all times of the day, all different kinds of weather, um, we glass it all. And and this year on that late rifle hunt, the guys we were hunting with actually commented that they were surprised at how many bulls we had seen, you know, midday in the sun and. You know, you go to Unit 10 when it's 100 degrees out on an early archery hunt or an early rifle hunt, and they're laying out in the middle of, uh, you know, antelope country baking in the sun. So on these later hunts, you know, what's to say they're not going to be bedded in the open or, or bedded in the thick stuff? So I I hate to to limit it to, oh, yeah, just, you know, glass the, the south-facing slope or the shade slopes or, you know, certain things because – you don't know where they're going to pop up or, or what time they're going to get up. That one bull we watched this year, there was a, there was three bulls and in three days they hadn't moved 200 yards 
and we watched them on sunny days, on a snowy day, and on a windy day, and they bedded in the pretty much the exact same spot in the same pocket for three days, and every evening we'd leave them, they would, they'd work their way down towards the bottom, so we were assuming they were watering down there, and then every day they came back up, and they stayed on the exact same, same side, so, and in one spot you're looking at 20 bulls, and they're all doing something different just about, so it's hard to, it's hard to knock it down to just one specific uh, area. You know, I think that brings up a good point, and I want to reiterate that you know, when you're looking at those bulls, you're patterning those bulls and patterning where they're bedding, patterning where they're feeding and, you know, remembering what time they they do what. And uh, one thing I've found hunting those uh, late bulls is when they get in a back, you know, group of bulls, a bachelor group of bulls, it seems like they get very, very habitual. And I think the encouraging thing for people out there listening is, you know, if you can put some homework in and find a group of bulls and watch them and from what you're saying and from my experience is, you know, once you find them and you have some, you know, time to watch them and if you can watch them multiple days, your chances of being able to get on those bulls and get them harvested goes way up because you've established a pattern. Yes. And even as far as, you know, I've heard some people talk about, the types of vegetation that they'll that they'll swarm to, you know, after the rut, and they're so drawn down and and skinny and sore footed and and stuff. But this year, and it might sound a little stupid, but I saw for the first time uh, that group of three bulls was consistently eating pine needles, and they were in a uh, a big group of oaks and all kinds of uh, different kinds of brushes, and they were, I mean, nonstop eating pine needles. All- trees that's very interesting um very interesting so when you found your bull the hunt was on and and um did you know that he was going to be the biggest bull you've ever killed or did you did you not want to really think about it no we uh my once he got up my buddy glassed him up um he had his 13 year old son with us and he was just dying to to see a see a stock of bull because we've been looking at so many bulls so when that bull got up it was he got in a shady patch for a second and i could see he had a big bottom end um i was concerned you know short he looked like he had short beams at which he on the one side he ended up it was only 46 um i could see the short beams and the fist and then i was thinking he was broke on that on that one short third i said but once he hits the sun and uh we can actually see how heavy he is and how he looks i said i'll make my mind up and when the when he finally walked into the sun, he was walking downhill. It was a no-brainer. Uh, just seeing the mass and and how big his fronts were, and his force, and how just how how much character we, we could see. He had a little split on the one side. Um, I told my wife, I said that's that's him. You know, I no doubt about it. He'll be he'll be over 350. Um, so then it, from there, we watched them for a while, just kind of watching. They were in some real thick stuff, um, some really thick brush and some some open patches and had beef cows above them and a couple whitetail bucks. So it, was, it wasn't like I could just storm in there and, and get right on top of them. So we kind of, we sat there for a while and watched him. And 
they never did bed and I didn't assume they were going to bed early. I was, uh, I was pretty confident they'd stay on their feet. So we had, we were sitting probably two miles away, mile and a half away. Um, me and my wife made it around and started the, the hike in. And literally once we got to a point where we were probably 300 yards from him, he bed down in some manzanita and some oak brush. Um, but just far enough inside the manzanita, I had, I had big clearings that I could get up to the other side. He did have that other bull with him, um, plus the beef cows and the whitetail that we had to be um, aware of. So we got up there. My dad stayed back with, with my buddy and his son and, and kept him on the in the glass. And this time we ended up with the wind. We ended up having to go all the way to the top above him. And he was on a steep, bluffy um, ridge. Once we got above, we uh, and got to, I want to say, about 150 yards. He was still bedded. The little bull had got up and started feeding. And then once once he got up, that was I was trying to get close because when, when you look at a bull and then you move a mile to get on him, everything changes. It might look wide open, but what a lot of people – will get messed up on if you don't have a spotter and, and you're able to realize it. But once you move around the the terrain, you know, the, the, the toe, everything looks completely different. It's so easy to lose stuff once you, uh, once you leave wherever you're glassing from. Well, when we got over there and that bull stood on his feet, that was my opportunity to try and get you know, not necessarily as close because I was playing it real, uh, real safe because I didn't want to get too close with the way the winds were. But we got to a point where we could see that bull. And, you know, my father on the radio was thinking we were 100 yards and we were actually we were 200 yards um, once I could see that little bull. But once I saw, once I got a fix on him, I told my wife, I said, we just need to start. We're way down this stuff real slow. Um, we took our boots off even, and which made it fun in the in the wet dirt and the, the cactus. But we pulled Brittany's our to- Brittany's toes had to freeze <laughs> off. Yeah, once once we got to a point where we could see that bull, you forget about everything. It was it was cool because we were able to the bull he was with was a nice bull. He was broke real bad, but once you get to a point where you can see these things under 150 yards, uh, it's to us, it's just something else. So it, it was easy to forget about everything and just really, really concentrate. And it's it was it was awesome. We got down there and and got to 75 yards away from that small bull, and still hadn't we still hadn't seen the big bull actually. Um, and the little bull walked back and and kind of surprised us because we were thinking he was you know playing the wind not perfect in my face you're playing you know the different angles and it was actually blown kind of towards them but we had enough uh enough angle enough, yeah enough of an angle between them that it was it was kind of going off their left side and when he turned around and went back it it helped us and then we found that big bull anyways we uh we ended up having to sit there for probably 30 minutes and it, it everything's just coming to you know at, at some point this is going to end in either them running off or, or me getting a shot so i'm trying to 
trying to find a shooting lane and and where we're gonna you know position ourselves because he was bedded well once that little bull come come over towards him and laid down he got up and fed right where he was and when I saw him going on the same path I had called my dad and I and asked him I said are there any shooting lanes or anything he's headed towards that you can see where I'm at and it's you know to him all his reply was the whole hillside looks open to you so it was really it was really difficult the way the land laid to to get that help so we we just hunkered down right there and he stepped out at at, uh, 60 yards but he was covered in oak brush and sat there waiting and she got some film we uh we actually got both of these hunts on film but she didn't get the kill shot because i had to take a step but he got in that oak brush and and took a couple steps around and i ended up ranging him at 70 yards and before the hunt my father had asked me you know what's your what's your yardage and what what are you going to feel comfortable out to and i 65 rolled off my tongue real fast and i said but if i have to i feel confident to 70 and I ranged that bull. He was 68, and I dialed. I'm shooting one of those CBE um, CBE sights. I dialed it to 70, and with the broadheads I'm shooting and all the practice I did, I I didn't hesitate. I pulled it back and and put one right perfect right behind the shoulder through both lungs, and he went about 30 yards and uh, laid down, and that was it. Good for you. That's awesome. A couple questions. One would be more of a observation and um you mentioned that uh you thought that the bull was uh your dad thought it was a hundred and and you said it was more like two hundred uh one thing i might point out there is it's uh and you can weigh in on this it's very important if you're going to hunt with a radio to be able to communicate with whoever is on the other end to say okay, I am 106 yards from that bull. How far does it look to you? Or if he said, a lot of times you can ask, how far am I from the bull? Because it seems like I always want to know how far away I am from whatever it is I'm stalking. And if he says 100 and it looks 50 to you, or he says 100 and it looks 200, you can then say on the radio, I know it looks 100, but it's really 200. I just ranged it. And I think in trying to be efficient, if if you and the spotter are exactly on the same page in a gauge of distance, that can really help you out. Yes. And every chance, you know, me and my dad have, have gotten, a, gotten a way where we talk to each other and, and, and work with the radios. And every chance we get, um and specifically on my bull when i got to a point those beef cows were still there i called them and i said hey how far does it look like i am from that you know that uh black cow and and he said and i would range them and every chance i would get to to you know but you got to make sure you're you can't just say to this tree or it's got to be something that you know for sure he's looking at and and we would sit there and talk and i told him you know no actually it's you know, 150 or whatever it was, but that's, that's really critical because there's times where that unit 10 hunt, where we were driving in to get to a spot and my dad called me and thought we were right on top of some elk and the way the lay of the land was and, and how, how it looked, uh, we were a mile away from them, but it looked like we were driving right on top of them. So it's, it's real critical, I think, 
to get on the same page for whoever you're having spot for you and uh and just go through those scenarios when you can especially if you're stalking something because when it comes down to you know the bull stands up how far away and and it's not anywhere close it could it could make or break you yeah i mean um you know, there's some people out there that don't like to use radios, and that's fine. And there's some people that do like to use radios. I I think the the thing to remember for people out there listening is if you are going to use radios, that still doesn't mean it's going to be easy. What it means is you need to perfect your your communication. Just because you're using radios does not mean you can just saunter up to a bull elk with a bow and shoot them. So when you're communicating with whoever it is, I like the person that is communicating to be very specific. And they say, the bull is to your right, facing downhill to your left. He's 75 yards. He's walking in your direction. And try and be as specific as you can as to what the bull is doing or the buck or what have you. Um, And when, when the person is listening with their earpiece, and they know that, that the communicator is saying, okay, the bull is to Kevin's right. He's facing you, Kevin, and he's walking in your direction, and he's 60 yards. Then Kevin knows that he may just stand still, or he may know that there's a tree in front of him. If he clears three more yards, that bull's going to walk right out in front of him. So I think constant communication and clear communication is huge um, when trying to be efficient um, stocking in, especially when you're using radios. Yeah, because we're we're using them and it opens up. We're able to hunt some country. You know, you could still get it done, but we're we're trying to get the odds on our favor because we're hunting big, thick country. And anytime if the animal beds, um, you know, he'll call me and tell me. And then we know we're on the same page. If anything changes, he'll call and tell me. But if I'm walking along, I I love all the information. I you know if I could, I'd have someone just sit there talking constantly, let me know what he's doing. But anytime I click the radio, I don't even have to say anything. A couple times, he'll just say, yeah, he's he's still bedded, head is facing south, um, you know, or what have you. Just all the info can it all helps. And it's like you said, it doesn't guarantee it, but at the same time. Um, if you were to make a a bad shot or something like that, it's a world of difference having someone in an elevated position that's able to tell you where he's going because there's certain scenarios and there's certain areas where, you know, a blood trail ain't going to cut it or it might not even happen. And yeah. And I, I think another point, Kevin is, okay, there's people that are against radios and that's fine. And I get emails every time when I talk about radios and that's fine. I, I appreciate the emails. Send them to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. But I think it's important to note too that we're out there to kill. We're out there to enjoy ourselves, but we're out there to put meat on the table. And in my mind, if something like that can make you more efficient and someone can say, you hit the bull, I've got the bull, sit where you're at, the bull's coming at you, the bull's going away from you, and you can gain more information, you can be, be, you know, make a more effective kill, I'm all for it. Now, if, you know, you're hunting a record book animals and you, you know, you don't want to have communication because you want to enter them in the books, that's a whole nother thing. 
Um, but hunting with a radio and having constant communication can be extremely effective if done properly. It can also backfire if you don't have proper communication and have someone that's really being descriptive on the other line or, or you know, on the other side. Um, but I, I get in this argument with people a lot about radios or not radios, and I always look at them and I say, are we out there to kill? Are we out there to be efficient? Are we out there to kill them as fast as we can and make as ethical a shot as we can? And in my book, the answer is yes. And if that's so, if using a radio helps in all of that, I don't understand why people have a problem with that. Now, if they have a problem with the radio altogether, that's fine. Don't do it. That, that, that's perfectly fine. And I think if you're going to enter you know, animals in Boone and Crockett or Pope and Young and they don't allow radios, then don't use radios. Um, but, you know, for late elk hunts uh, like the one you have where, you know, the likelihood of, you know, shooting, you know, 500-inch bulls and, you know, 300-inch bucks and just craziness, why not use a radio and be efficient? It's an extremely fun way to hunt. Um, you get to, uh, you know, you, you people helping you can be listening on the radio and be a part of the hunt. I just think it's a you know, we're out there to have fun and we're out there to efficiently kill these animals. And I, I, I'm just, I'm a proponent of radios. Um, and, you know, darn, I use radios a lot. I think it's a great for safety, but you know, it's an efficient way to kill animals. And that's what we're there to do, you know, or else if, if you're not go back to, you know, carving your own bows and your own arrows and, you know, bending your own bows and, you know, shooting at them at 15 yards. And, and that's fine, too. We're all hunters. We should all support each other. But I kind of get tired of the anti-radio banter that I hear. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yes, because, I mean, here we are on a, a late archery hunt, and we shoot two bulls. You know, it's all fun and dandy, and, and we use radios, and then we switch gears a week later to the late rifle hunt, same unit, same, same exact setup. And two bulls never even get a shot off with a rifle under 500 yards. And, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't make it super easy. And, it, you know, with the radios just open up the world to everything because here we are with a rifle in our hands and we can't even get a shot off. So it's, yeah. it, but one of the bulls we did end up getting, it was, it made her, it almost made or break us because the guy had shot the bull in a bad spot and, the bull wasn't bleeding and time's running out. It's getting dark and the bull ended up making a real sharp hand, left hand turn and bedded down. And the guy that was spotting for me called me and, and walked me into a position where the sun, you know, where we were headed, we were going to have the sun in our eyes. He walked me to a spot where we wouldn't have sun and we were able to, to harvest that bull before it got dark. If it would have got dark, you know, who no that bull's going to end up and then trying to find him where where there's beef cows and other bulls and and he's not bleeding in oak brush and manzanita you're you're going to be spinning in circles or looking for birds and you're going to lose that meat for sure for sure well buddy that's an awesome bull um if people want to see it they can go on instagram kipper k-i-p-p-e-r 2012 um, got a great Instagram page and I believe, uh, I believe it's just Kevin Passmore on Facebook, correct? Yes. Kevin Passmore on Facebook. And, um, it's always great having you on, um, the show. What did that bull end up scoring? He ended up going, I want to say 358 and some change. 
Yeah, it's an awesome heavy looking, just great fronts on that bull. Um, and you've, you've stacked them up pretty good on those late archery elk hunts. So far, uh, three for three. My first one, I was, uh, you know, just, just learning the hunt and, and learning what I could do. And then these last two, I've, I started getting a little more picky. I mean, once it comes down to the wire, I, I want to shoot and, and fill the freezer, but it's, uh, they're an awesome hunt. I know they're getting more popular and, and, uh, some big bulls are getting killed, but they're, they're a fun hunt. If a guy doesn't want to wait 15, 20 years or after he draws that tag and he wants to go one more time, it's a, they're a pretty easy hunt to get drawn for and just got to do some homework. Absolutely. Well, buddy, well, thanks for being on and thanks for sharing uh, your time with us. And um, one thing I always admire about you and your wife is you get the little ones, the little tykes, I mean, little babies out there in the field with you. And um, you guys are bringing those kids up right. And I want to commend you on that. And it's always great having you on the podcast. And I wish you the best of success. Do you have any hunts coming up up uh, around the corner here? Um, we got a, I got a couple friends with some late whitetail tags and my wife's um itching to get out with her bow uh when archer deer starts and then we got pig tags of course and then i drew a, a turkey tag up here around town that we've had with our our kids so we're looking forward to that taking them up there and and getting a chance to show them the show them the turkeys and and hear them gobble and whatnot awesome yeah i always look forward to your turkey videos and such so um, well, you guys, if I don't hear from you, have a very Merry Christmas, and um, thanks for being on, and I look forward to having you on again, okay? All right. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. You too. Guys, GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast. Get everything you need in one spot. Join Insider today. Find and plan your hunts more effectively than ever. Complete state coverage. See detailed information for every unit, every species, every hunt. Interactive maps. Quickly find hunts that meet your exact search criteria and explore them easily. Strategy articles. Learn new things and find hidden opportunities with exclusive articles. Species breakdowns. Top trophy units are hiding in plain sight. Find them with our statistics and historical data. Another great thing about GoHunt.com Insider is they have monthly giveaways that are worth 100000 plus a year. Each month you will automatically be entered to win gear, tags, and hunts. That is if you're an Insider member. Past prizes include a $22,000 doll sheep hunt, uh, three Red Rock Precision Rifles with the $21,000 value, uh, five Zeiss Conquest HD binoculars with a $7,500 value. Not to mention, this past July, they gave away four hunts, an antelope hunt, two elk hunts, and a mule deer hunt. Join Insider today and get a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash insider, click on the blue Join Now button, use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, and GoHunt.com will send you a $50 Kuyu gift card. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast.